Amen. You woke up. You did good. What a great time of worship tonight, and we hope that you were worshiping with us from your homes tonight as well. Genesis 37, as we begin this 11-week series looking at the life of Joseph, one of my favorite Bible characters. If I had to title this series of messages, it would be Joseph, Fruitful Through Affliction. Fruitful through affliction. Let me remind all of us of just a few of the afflictions that Joseph was fruitful through. He was fruitful even though he was rejected. He was fruitful even though there were false accusations brought against him. And he was fruitful when he was forgotten. In his life, Joseph was fruitful, but it was always through affliction. It is a reminder to us that God does not need optimal circumstances to work in or to work through. And therefore, when we are looking to God and following him, we don't need in our life optimal circumstances to be used by God greatly in or to grow in or whatever. And we've seen this in the history of our church. We had our greatest year during the pandemic. And, and you and I may have seen this even in our lives at times. And this is illustrated in the life of Joseph. I would consider Joseph the John the Baptist of the Old Testament for this reason. One of the things that God wants to do here at this point in Genesis is to show us how his people get to Egypt. Because remember, back in Genesis 15, God told Abraham, oh, by the way, part of my plan for my people is they're going to spend 400 years in Egypt. How do they get there? Who goes first? Well, guess who goes first? The forerunner, Joseph. And when you think about John the Baptist as the forerunner, his life was not easy, was it? It was a great privilege to be the forerunner of Christ, but he didn't have an easy life. And to be the one who would go before all the children of Israel into the land of Egypt and sort of be the one to be the pioneer, it was not an easy life for Joseph. And so there's going to be many layers to this series, okay? And one of the other layers is how God trains and raises up leaders. Hopefully you aspire to be used greatly of the Lord and, and to be a leader in God's kingdom. And, and, and one of the things then that we learn is that before the crown, there's the cross. Before glory, there is suffering. That was the way it was for Jesus, and that will be the way it is for all who want to follow him, you see. And that was true in Joseph's life. God was going to take Joseph through the furnace of affliction, and whatever impurities were still in Joseph's life, they were going to be burned off through that furnace. God does the same thing with us. If we're being used at this level with God, God always seeks to use us in greater 
and, and bigger ways because we're always part of a story that is bigger than ourselves as we've learned through our study of Genesis. And that is true with Joseph as well. And so God put him through the furnace in order to prepare him to be the second most powerful man on planet Earth. Only Pharaoh was more powerful than Joseph at that point. What God did throughout his life shows how God works and how God moves. And we're going to start to see this tonight as we study the life of Joseph. A few things that really stood out to me in Genesis 37 that I want to point out to you tonight. First of all, we are introduced to the fact that this is still sort of the history and story of Jacob here. But as I said last week, Jacob sort of reminds me of the Prince Charles of, of the Old Testament. You know, he waited his whole life for his father Isaac to die. Isaac finally dies at 180 years. And so jo Jacob is like ready to get the spotlight put on him. But instead of God putting the spotlight on Jacob, it's on Joseph now. Joseph is the one that in God's plan and God's purposes, God is going to primarily work through. It's not that he doesn't have something for Jacob. It's that now Joseph is the primary one. And it goes back again to the sovereignty of God and that God chooses some for this and some for that. But God has a plan and purpose for all of us. And it is up to us to follow God and to look to God and find out, God, why did you create me? What am I here on this earth for? What is your plan and purpose for my life? And much of what Joseph had to deal with are things that you and I will have to deal with as we navigate life and go through life. Maybe not to the same degree, but in many ways, quite similar. So notice Genesis 37 starts off with the fact that Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed in the land of Canaan. Why is that pointed out here? Because Canaan is the land of God's promise. And it is a reminder right at the beginning. Oh, yeah, God was faithful to his promises. All the way back to Abraham, all the way through Isaac, and now through Jacob and on to Joseph, God is faithful to his promises. And we have seen throughout our study of Genesis that one of the things you and I can be encouraged about is that if God was faithful to his promises to them, God will be faithful to his promises to me. It's a good thing for all of us to be reminded of. They were in the land of promise. Verse 2, this is the account, the story, the history of Jacob. But it's primarily about Jacob's sons and specifically Jacob's one son, Joseph. So notice we're introduced to Joseph then in verse 2. And by the way, several weeks ago when Joseph was born, we were reminded of what Joseph's name means. It means he increases or let him add. It is a, it's a name of growth and progress and prosperity. And when you look at the life of Joseph, that's exactly what you see in all situations and circumstances that Joseph was in. Even when he was going through affliction, Joseph was always a blessing to all around him. And others benefited by Joseph's presence in their life. 
Joseph was always increasing himself and adding to his life. And therefore, he was always increasing, if you will, blessing and adding to the life of others around him. He was blessed to be a blessing. Joseph here, we pick it up, he was 17 years old. And he was taking care of the flocks with his brothers. Now notice, he was much younger than the rest of Jacob's sons. The thing that I want to point out to us here, because this is, again, a biblical principle of how God works in our lives, how he grows us, how he trains us for greater things, how he trains us for leadership. Joseph was this young man that was just out there faithfully taking care and shepherding sheep. Think of even David, right? And yet, God took note. And God was using that experience of taking care of a few sheep to begin to build into Joseph's life the qualities that he would need to be a leader later on. That's the way God works. That's why Jesus said, even in dealing with eternal things and his eternal kingdom, if you are faithful in little things, I will make you ruler and more responsible for greater things. That's the way God always works. He wants to see that we are faithful with what he's entrusted to us here, what he's placed into our hands. And if we show that we are faithful in those things, he's always willing to give us more because that's the heart of God. He wants to put more into our lap, if you will. But it starts with little things. To, to Joseph, maybe, and maybe others, oh, no big deal. I'm, I'm just a shepherd. But one day, God's plan and purpose was he would be the second most powerful person on planet Earth. But he started as a shepherd. David was the king of Israel one day, the most powerful man on planet Earth at that time. And yet he started as a shepherd out there taking care of the flocks. That's how God works. And that's why we should not despise small things, small assignments, little things that we can do. Because if we do those little things well, God will always make sure that there's greater things in store for us. That was what was beginning to blossom and grow in Joseph's life. Now it says, Josh, uh, Joseph, verse 2, brought back a negative or bad report about his brothers to their father. Was he a snitch? Was he a tattletale? Well, some would say, yeah. There was a little bit of an immaturity maybe at this point in Joseph. But let's also remind ourselves that just a few chapters ago, Jacob's other sons were not the cream of the crop. They made a lot of bad decisions in their life, and they were going to continue to make bad decisions, even in relation to Joseph. Remember, it was Jacob's sons, many of them, who murdered the Shechemites after Dinah was raped and caused all that trouble. Now, yes, it was because Jacob was passive, but they bear responsibility too. And so it could be that there's, a, again, layers to this. 
You can't just look at it just like people do in our lives. You can't just look at it from one angle. It has many layers and many angles to it. It could be that they weren't being very responsible in looking out for their father's business. And, and put yourself in Joseph's place. Let's say you're younger and your parents have a business and you and your siblings are there to work for your parents' business. And you see that the siblings, your siblings, your brothers, your sisters, are actually undermining the success of your parents' business. What would you do? Would you stand up and say something or would you just let it go and let the business continue to deteriorate? You see, even in that, Joseph was learning something. He was learning that I can't live, if I'm going to be a leader in God's kingdom, I can't live for the praise of people. And I can't live to try to please people around me. Sometimes I've got to say tough things. Sometimes I've got to do tough things that aren't necessarily going to be popular, but they're necessary. See, those things even are learned sometimes at a very young age, just like they were with Joseph. Then we come to verse 3. Now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was a son born to him late in life. And we understand favoritism in a family will do nothing but cause trouble. We've already seen that, right? In Isaac's situation, you see. We've seen that in Abraham's situation. It only makes things really bad and tense in a family when parents show favoritism of one over another. That's not good. Especially in this case, what it does is it only creates a bad situation for the favored son or daughter, right? Because then they become the object of anger and bitterness and resentment with the other siblings. So it doesn't even put them in a good place. So I'm not in any way condoning the favoritism that Jacob shows, right? But I do want to take this unique and special relationship that Jacob had with his son Joseph, and I want to teach us something about that from a metaphorical perspective tonight. Because I think that's how you and I can apply a little bit of what's going on here in the relationship between Jacob and Joseph to our own walk with God. Let's move on, and I, hopefully it'll become a little bit clearer to you. So one of the things that Jacob did to sort of set Joseph apart from his siblings was he had made a special tunic or garment for him. And it was this garment that was really a visual, symbolic, you know, thing that really then shoved the favoritism into the faces of Jacob's other sons. And it showed that their father loved him more than any of them. So notice, verse 4, they hated Joseph and didn't even speak kindly to him. 
you can imagine the tension in this family, right? But I want to come back to this special garment for this reason. And it's one of the things that God wanted me to emphasize tonight. All of us, all of us, as God's children, have been given a special garment from God. A garment, like in this case, that represents the special love and affection that God has for us as his children and that sets us apart from everyone else. Not in a favoritism way, but in a loving way. God gives all of us a special garment. Now, the first way I want us to see this is when you and I accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Bible tells us that God not only takes away our sin, but imputes to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Therefore, as Paul says, we are literally robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's one of the ways that you and I can stand in the presence of a holy God and be there because we're not standing in our own righteousness, which the prophet Isaiah says is nothing but filthy rags. We are standing in the righteousness of the Son of God. We have been robed in his righteousness. And then Paul even says to us as Christians, put on the Lord Jesus. Now, obviously, that goes beyond the robe of righteousness to bear the qualities that we as human beings can bear that are qualities of Jesus. Think of the fruit of the Spirit. Through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, we can be loving, we can be joyful, we can be, you know, at peace, we can be kind, we can be self-controlled. All of those fruit of the Spirit are, are ways that, that we can put on, if you will, and and wear the Lord Jesus. What a garment. You and I need to be reminded every day we are dressed in the righteousness of Jesus. That's a garment that God gives to us. But then beyond that, God, when he created us, in a sense, he robed us with a soul. And that soul is our unique identity. That which God created for us that makes us unique and special and set apart from everyone else that he ever created. He gave us a unique set of abilities, talents, gifts, temperament, the whole deal, right? And nobody is robed in that garment but us. And just like with Joseph, there will be times in our life where others, even other Christians, reject the garment that we are wearing. Our uniqueness, 
our specialness, the way God made us and, and, and the purpose and plan that he has for us is something that others don't necessarily buy into. And as we're going to see in just a moment, his brothers even strip him from that garment. And there will be times in your life where there will be those who try to strip you of the garment, if you will, of God that he's placed on you. And you and I have to be strong enough to be who God created us to be, even if other people don't understand it or applaud it. Because before God, all God asks of us is to live our lives in communion and fellowship and relationship with him and become who God created us to be, letting him alone define us. And can we, can we be strong enough then in God and in our relationship with God not to always seek the approval, the affirmation, and the applause of everyone around us and can simply be who God made us to be regardless of whether everyone else likes it or not? Are you wearing your garment are you wearing it confidently and proudly? Because here's the deal. Jesus even says in the New Testament, it is possible for one to gain the whole world and do what? Lose our what? Soul. In other words, to lose our identity in God, to lose who God created us, made us to be. We can gain the world and, let, and yet lose ourselves. And so often as Christians, we're trying to fit in here. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be cooperative and, and, you know, all these things. That's part of being part of the body. But see, the way God designed this is that I can be unique and you can be unique and we can still come together in our diversity and still be unified in a common purpose. And I don't have to change who God made me to be, and you don't have to change who God made you to be, and it can still work. I don't have to try to make you who I want you to be to fit in with me, and you don't have to try to make me fit in to be who you... No, it doesn't have to work that way. And yet many times, even within the church, that's what you find. And so... I really felt like the Lord wanted me to spend a little time with that garment tonight. Because so often we either take off the garment that God has placed upon us because we're ashamed of it or we don't like it or maybe even like Joseph's brothers, I wish God had given me their garment. I, I'm envious and jealous of what somebody else got from God that I didn't. I don't like my garment. God. I don't like the way you made me. I don't like the talents, gifts, and strengths and ability. I'd rather have theirs. And so we take off the garment rather than fulfilling the purpose that God made for us. And one of the things that we will find is that we will never find total fulfillment and satisfaction in this life if we take off the garment that God made for us or if we allow others to strip us of that garment. 
Let's move on. Verse 5, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. There we were, binding sheaves of grain in the middle of the field. Suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright, and your sheaf surrounded my sheaf and bowed down to it. Then his brothers asked him, do you really think you will rule over us or have dominion over us? They hated him even more because of his dream and because of what he had said. Then he had another dream and told it to his brothers. Look, he said, I had another dream. The sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him saying, what is this dream that you had? Will I, your mother, and your brothers really come and bow down to you? His brothers were envious or jealous of him, but his father kept in mind, made a mental note of what Joseph said. Before we move on with the story, let's now talk about this dream. This was a dream that God gave to Joseph of prophetic meaning. It was a revelation from God, a vision that God gave to Joseph, and it had to do with God's plan and purpose ultimately for Joseph. That one day he would be in a position of great leadership and his family would literally come and be in need of what he could offer them in that position in Egypt. God sent Joseph ahead not only to begin to bring the Israelites into Egypt, which was part of God's plan, but also in order to care for them. God is always way ahead of us, right? And Joseph is just part of, again, this greater story and this bigger plan that God has. We are just all part of this link in a chain, and if we do our part, not only are we blessed and fulfilled and satisfied, but we end up being a greater blessing to others just as Joseph was. But obviously, his family didn't want to hear that, embrace that, or accept that. Let's go back to the dream. I believe that God gives every child of his a dream. I do because it's one of the ways that God begins to reveal in us as we walk with him his plan and purpose for our lives. But many times, like Joseph, it's the far, eventually, that's where you're going, but doesn't give us all the steps in between, because obviously, Joseph would have said, bye, not interested, you know. I'll even use myself as an example that I knew many years ago and began to struggle with God over that, as you know, and wrestle with God, that God wanted me to start and plant a church. God didn't tell me all that I was going to have to go through to get to even that point, but God put that out there, right? That's the way God works. And again, what I want us all to see tonight that I hope will be encouraging to you is obviously God's plan and purpose for Joseph carried along with it a lot of affliction, a lot of hardship, a lot of suffering, right? 
I mean, we think of people like Joseph and go, oh, wouldn't it have been great to be used like Joseph was and to have all that, you know, you know power and, and everything else. But look at what Joseph had to go through in order to get there. And yet the dream literally means that God then, as soon as he gave Joseph that dream, that God bound himself, hooked himself into Joseph. Okay, I want you to realize that now, okay? So now God is basically saying, when he revealed this dream to Joseph, now Joseph, the fulfillment of this dream, this prophecy, if you will, with prophetic meaning, it's going to be many years in the future. But every step of the way, I'm with you. Because I'm not just with you to get you to the ultimate fulfillment of it. I'm with you through every step of the process. And we're going to see that throughout the story of and I say that because that's exactly what God would say to us. Look, here's where I want to take you. But I'm, by revealing that to you now, I'm also telling you that I have bound myself to you and I'm hooking myself to you and I'm going to be with you throughout the entire process to get you to that point. So you're never going to be without me. I'm always, and that everything that happens to you isn't accident, isn't coincidence, isn't bad luck. It's all part of my plan and purpose. And I think that's part of the reason why Joseph could respond the way he responded through his afflictions because he understood what this dream meant. It wasn't just giving him information and understanding about what God ultimately had for him. It was a reminder to him that my God has now hooked himself to me. And everything that's going to happen to me from this point on till that is fulfilled, God's going to be with me. And there's nothing that's going to happen in my life that God is not going to allow to be part of that process that he needs to take me through to get me to that point. That's what it means when it says Joseph had a dream. It's way more than Joseph had a dream, right? It gave Joseph encouragement and strength and confidence because the word means that God bound firmly himself to Joseph. He glued himself to Joseph. And yes, he was rejected. But he had to continue to live his life keeping his eye on the Lord and on that dream. And that's my encouragement to you. And no matter how young or how old you are here tonight, it's never too late to continue to pursue the dream that God gave you because just like Joseph, every last one of us who are given dreams from God will go through what I call the death of the dream. There's no way this is ever going to happen. No way. I mean, think of Joseph. Do you not think as a human being that there were times where he sat in that pit that his brothers put him in or that he sat in prison unjustly or that he was forgotten when he was in prison all those years that he thought, this is never going to happen? Absolutely. And there will be times in our life where God takes us to grow our faith through times in our life where it seems like those dreams that he put in us and, and those, those 
things that he's stirring in our hearts, it's never going to happen. And God says, oh, I've, I've bound myself to you. It, it will happen. I'm just taking you through the process. And part of that process is the death of the dream. Because God wants to build into us a faith that doesn't walk by sight. <laughs> we walk by faith. We walk based upon what God has revealed to us and what he has said to us, not by what we see, not by our circumstances, not by our situation, because there were many times in Joseph's life where if he would have walked by sight, he would have had no hope. But when he kept his eyes and he kept looking, as we even talked about before worship tonight, as David did, when he kept looking toward God with confident expectation, waiting upon the Lord, he knew that God would turn. He knew that God would hear. He knew that God would lift him out of the pit. He knew that God would set his feet upon a rock and secure his footing. And he knew that God would give him a reason for a new song. And God wants to do the same thing in our life as well. So I don't want to take too much more time. You know the rest of chapter 37, probably. His brothers conspire to murder him. Let's just get rid of him. Reuben steps in and says, no, let, let's not kill him. And basically, Reuben's thinking that if I can just get my brothers to settle down a little bit, I'll come back and I'll get him out of the pit and I'll take him back to to dad. I, I don't want to see this happen. In the meantime, Reuben must go somewhere, and his brothers decide to sell him into slavery. The Midianites come along. Oh, is that an accident? Is God not in control? No. God knows exactly what he's doing. He not only has this pit in mind as part of the process, the Midianites come by, and guess where they're headed? They're headed to Egypt. Is that an accident? Is that a coincidence? Is that bad luck on Joseph's part? No. God knows exactly what he's doing, and he's going to get Joseph to Egypt. Now, listen, it probably wasn't the way Joseph thought he was going to get there. And isn't that true in our lives? Many times, like, God may reveal, like, Jeff, I, 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 I have this plan. I, I want you to, you're going to Egypt someday. Oh, okay. And I think God's taking me this way, and God goes, oh, no, Jeff, that's, that's not the interesting way. We're going this way. So much more interesting to go this way than that way. And that's exactly what happens. Of course, they decide to kill this animal. After they stripped him of his garment, they throw the animal's blood on the garment. They take it back to Jacob. Jacob is grief-stricken. He believes that his son has been mauled by some ferocious animal and he's died and he cannot be consoled. And yet the chapter ends in this way. Look at verse 36 and we'll wrap this up. Now in Egypt, the Midianites sold Joseph to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, literally the head of Pharaoh's bodyguard. Do you think it was an accident that the Midianites came along and bought Joseph? No. Do you think it was an accident that they were headed to Egypt? No. Do you think it was an accident that they sold him out of all the people in the land of Egypt, that they sold him to Potiphar? No. All part 
of God hooking himself to Joseph and saying, I've got you, Joseph. You're going to get there, but I've got to do some refining first. I got to throw you in the furnace of affliction first. I got to burn off all those impurities and, and even build more humility in you because I've got great plans for you, Joseph. And in order for you to have that kind of power and that kind of position and for me to use you as greatly as I want to, whew, I need to do a work. And again, that's the rub with us many times is we want God to use us greatly, but we don't want to go through the process of how God wants to take us to get us there. And that's Joseph. That's what's illustrated in the life of Joseph. I'll leave you with this. If you turn with me in closing to the book of Psalms, and we'll come back to this verse next week, but many times we miss some important stuff that's sort of hidden in another book of the Bible that has application to what we're studying right now. And in Psalm 105, Psalm 105, look with me at verse 17, 18, and 19 of Psalm 105. The psalmist is recounting the history of Israel, okay, God's people. And he comes to this part in Genesis, and notice what he says. He, God, sent a man ahead of them. God's already there. God's already there. God knows there's a famine coming, and God's already got it taken care of. That's why God says to us, trust me, I'm already in your future. I already know what's coming. I already know what you need. I'm already making provision for it. Trust me. And maybe God is using you to be the one that he sends ahead. Not easy. Not easy being the pioneer. Not easy being the one that, that is out there sort of cutting the, the first, you know, thing. But oh, what great reward it is for God to choose us for those kind of positions. But notice what it says about Joseph. Not only was he sold as a servant, this is something we don't think a lot about. The shackles hurt his feet and his neck was placed in an iron collar until the time when God's prediction, dreams that he had for Joseph came true and the Lord's word proved him right. Some have asked and even argued was Joseph being immature and, and tactless to tell his brothers and his, his family about these dreams because it certainly was going to stir the pot? You could certainly look at it that way and say, you, he probably shouldn't have said anything, right? Kept him to himself. But think of it this way. Look at it from the other side. If Joseph would have never told his family about the dream that God gave him, then they would have never known when that dream came true, that that was all truly the plan and purpose of God. You see, in a sense, by him telling them that and going through the suffering that he did because he shared that, he also was vindicated one day by God. And also, his whole family saw, wow, our brother Joseph really did hear the voice of God. God really did have a unique plan and purpose 
for our brother Joseph or my son Joseph. And now that's been confirmed to us because we heard it from Joseph's lips back when he was 17 years old. And now he's probably in his 40s and 50s when that all comes about. So different ways, again, to look at it. It's like our lives. There's many layers to it. God has a dream for you. God has a garment for you. Don't take that garment off. Don't let others strip you of that garment. Don't give up on your dreams, my friend, because God's word is true. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight for the wonderful time of worship that we had, God. As we look to you with confident expectation, as we declared, Lord, our faith and trust in our magnificent and amazing God, there's no one like you, God. No one that even comes close to you, Lord. And I pray tonight, Lord, that we might not only have a a renewed appreciation for you. But Lord, maybe even a new willingness to embrace the garment, Lord, that you have created for each of us. That unique plan and purpose that you created us to have in this life. And that instead of rejecting it, as many do, or not even being interested in it, that God, we would be willing to embrace it that we would be willing to wear it. And Lord, no matter what suffering, hardship, or affliction we have to go through, God, may we never be ashamed of the garment that you have placed upon us. May we always, Lord, be willing to pursue the dreams, God, that you have placed within us. Yes, there will be days where our dreams feel like they've died. But God, give us the faith to continue to press on as Joseph did. Encourage us, God, and strengthen us with this study of this very unique individual from the Old Testament. And Lord, may we find, Lord, just a refreshment from you in these weeks ahead. Go with us, God, to our homes tonight. Give us a good night of rest and wake us, God, tomorrow to follow you once again, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.